Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, this is Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? And Stephen Vaughn. Welcome back, everyone. We are so glad to be with you guys to start up Season 2, where we're going to be having a conversation about what is the church. And uh, today we're going to begin a two-part episode where we're considering, really, what is the nature of the church. We hope you join us for both episodes today. guys well it's good to be back in the studio after taking off a few weeks and to get some things lined up for a new season and uh, we're recording this on the Tuesday right after Labor Day so we've just kind of come away from a long weekend did you guys have a good uh, Memorial Day Labor Day Day. (laughs) it's a Labor Day yeah it's good spent a lot of time outside we went kayaking with the fam oh that's great I love kayaking I'm planning to go kayaking Friday and do some fishing and I haven't gotten out much this year as much as I would like to have. And that's harder now with the baby, you know. You got you got to plan a little extra. <laughs> it is. It that's is, a, yeah. That's another addition that we had during the uh, uh however long we that took was, off was that a baby. was, yeah. What yeah. a season break. So much has happened. That's right. That's right. Me and my wife, uh, little Ashlyn James Mansfield made her arrival. And so we spent the last few weeks just taking time with the family and with her. But uh, it is so good to be back. It's good to be back recording. And we're excited about this new season. Um, you know, there's so much to think about as we think about the church and um, really what it is as followers of Christ that we are giving um, our life to and to the Lord and then to serve uh, in His body. Um we're going to just kind of go ahead and get right right off this morning started with a question, which I think will probably lead to some good discussion, and that is just simply the question of what is the church? I mean, let's just kind of talk about it. Let's let's ask it. How, how would you guys define it? How would you uh, define what is the church? Well, it, Morgan was looking at me because I was smiling. Uh, <laughs> whenever you ask that question, the first thing I think of like is what it's not okay. and what we've thought of as the church. And so I think the the big uh, modern misnomer of the church is that it's a building, you know, so I'm going to go to church and um, the church burnt down, you know, like that's how people talk. Like when a church building's destroyed, well, the church was destroyed. Well, no, um, <laughs> the church building was destroyed, the building where people meet. And so I think a common misnomer that people have is, well, the, you know, the church is a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's been a common one. I think an, an, another common one that's really becoming very prevalent of what it's not is, you know, well, it's just a group of Christians just j- jumping into um, just jumping into a Bible study at Starbucks, you know? And I think we'll get into that the more we dive into this season, but that's a common misnomer. And so I think just a basic um, flyover of church, and obviously you can dive deeper into, is it? I think uh, there's the extremes, type, right? Well, yeah, well, there's the extremes there. One yeah. is looking at the church as a place where people meet, and so we associate it with a building. Mm-hmm. And then the other extreme is we just, uh, think about the church as people. And so we say, well, we look at verses like in Matthew where two or three are gathered, then Christ is in the midst. We say, well, there's the church. The church is there. And and there is more uh, to it than that. Uh, the Bible really describes uh, for us in great detail uh, what is the church, right? So Morgan, what would you say? How would you define that? Um, I I think I would define it as really the collective body of Christ, you know, because and we, we can talk about past, present, future, 
um, those of us who are one in Christ, we are the church, but there's also the institutional aspect of it, the way, you know, it was set up and laid out in the scriptures to have the overseers, shepherds, you know, and then different, different ways to serve in the church. So it can get really complex, but I think it's really important to focus on the people aspect of it yeah, with no, the I, institutions. I, I agree that. I also think there's a there's a distinction that's maybe kind of made between when we talk about what is a church versus what is the church, you know? And I think often when we think about yeah. a church, we think about a local church, a visible church, uh, uh, this local assembly, this gathering of people. And then when we think about the church, we're thinking about a kind of this universal church, uh, uh, like you were talking about, a church that uh, past, present, and future, people uh, both alive and dead, and people who have been a part of the body of Christ. Um, you know, the Bible defines for us the word church. Um, it The word in Greek is the word ekklesia. Uh, you find it 114 times in the New Testament. And, and you know, as we think about that word, what do you, what do you guys think that, 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 how is that word defined in the Bible? Well, ekklesia in the Bible is specifically, um, I mean, it's a Greek word, so it's specifically <laughs> meant to be a New Testament context word. Now, it does use it in reference uh, sometimes to the Old Testament. However, it's primarily written in the New Testament, and it primarily speaks of a called-out assembly, a called-out group. And so there is a part in the New Testament, I can't remember the exact reference off the top of my head, but it does use it talking about how the children of Israel were a called-out group. Group, a called out it, body, isn't it? Galatians, in Hebrews two, and in Acts seven, it's used to describe the Old Testament assemblies. Yeah. yeah, and so it's it's playing off of that picture of how the children of Israel were called out. Where were they called out from? Egypt. They were called out from all the people around them, and they were set apart to God. And then in the New Testament, it's used to describe the body of Christ who has been called out from the world, who has been saved um, by the grace of Jesus and the grace of God. And it's this called out, um, almost this idea idea of its saints, these set-apart ones to um, to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, because in, in Greek, and as I was like looking at this this past week, um, you know, it, that's not a word that just began with the church, and then they used that word to describe it. It was actually a word that was in uh, classical Greek, and Greek cities used it to refer to assemblies that were called upon to perform a specific task. And so, you know, there's uh, there's a few places in Scripture, like you were saying, you see it referring to the Old Testament assemblies. Uh, I think in the Gospel of Luke, he used it to describe um, these amphitheaters where the Apostle Paul uh, was at, and uh, he's talking about the people there. But really, 109 times in the Bible, it's referring to the Christian assembly. It's referring to this group of people that have been called out, as you were saying, and they've been called upon uh, for a specific task. I, I, you know, I think that's so helpful as we think about the definition of a church, because right up front, it's defining for us that there's something that we've been called upon to be and called upon to do, and there's a task, an aim that we have. I mean, what, how do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, back in the Old Testament, they were called out of a geographical location. You know, it was very uh, a shift in literally where they were, but also in, in who they were now. And so we see that a lot more in our day, you know, as we are called out, we're not necessarily being called out of a location. Sometimes we are, but we're being called to literally be new people. And so I just, I think it's so cool in the way that we're living on mission. We now have a task that's assigned to us and we get to be new people. Mm. I think, I think it goes a little bit further too of connecting 
uh, the dots of responsibility to the Christian life. I think, Man, that's I so think true. there's this new, there's this been this new shift in Christianity. It's probably not been new, but it seems like it is sometimes. Right. We always <laughs> want to say it's new, but it's probably been Nothing's around forever. Under the sun. <laughs> but, yeah, but there's this, there's this subtle shift in at least in American Christianity that's happened over the past number of years of, well, I can, I can become a Christian and then I can just ride out my days, you know, and I can just do what I need to do. And it's like, well, no, if you have actually become a part of the ecclesia, if you have become a part of the church of God, then you are called out. You are called out from your old way of living into a new life in Christ. And so you have responsibility now. And uh, I think it really connects those dots of responsibility in a person's life. Man, I think that's so good because, you know, as, even as we think about the word uh, ecclesia in this assembly, um, you know, in the New Testament, that word refers both to local assemblies as much as it does in other places in the Bible referring to the church, right? The body of Christ, as you were mm -hmm. kind of alluding to. And, um, you know, theologians have kind of made a distinction between this uh, by using the word visible and invisible church, Um you know, right when you hear that, I, that that may be a new term uh, for some people. Yeah, very new for me. So, was it? yeah, okay. oh yeah. So, I need a lot of help distinguishing between those two. <laughs> All right. So, so Stephen, when we talk about the visible church, what are we referring to? Yeah. So, visible church is something that you might have heard used synonymously with the word local church. Okay. And it's this idea of it is a for it's normally a formulated, organized, actual existing what we would refer to in our lingo of Christians as a church, right? So they are... When we say visible, we mean that you can see it. Exactly. They're so this observing... Is the, this is the expression, this yes. local visible expression of the body yes. of Christ. Whereas invisible uh, really would refer to kind of the true church of born-again believers uh, throughout all time, a past, present, and future. And uh, you see that in different places, like in Matthew 16 or in Ephesians 5 or 1 Corinthians 12. You you see places uh, where that is described. I, I think as we think about verses that might help to illustrate this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is probably one of the best places you can go to in the Bible to see both of these realities, because as Paul begins to write this letter to the church in Corinth, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2. He says, "...to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours." And so right there in the beginning, you know, Paul is writing to a church, to the church of God that is in Corinth, right? And so we have in the New Testament um, different epistles, different letters where Paul wrote a letter to a specific church, right? Um, you know, we can think about the church in Ephesus or um, the church in Philippi, and here at the church in Corinth, right? Paul's writing to a to a church, to a local, visible church, and he says, "Notice those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus." That word "sanctified" is kind of a big word, but Morgan, how would what does that word mean? I think it goes back to that idea of set apart yeah. and sanctified, meaning like there's this 
you know, there's this set apart nature where it's completely different than something else. Yeah, they've been sanctified. They are like they've been set apart from something and they've been sanctified to something, right? And we've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so really in a very basic definition of the church, the church is people who are in Christ, uh, people who have been born again, and now they've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. But Paul talks about a local church, but then he talks about to all, notice the called called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so there's this local expression, but there's also really this universal or uh, invisible expression, if we can think about it that way. So let's kind of uh, segue here a minute and go back in church history a bit and uh, jump in our our, our time travel machine and go back to <laughs> AD 381 uh, to... Uh, uh, really the creed at Constantinople, right, which um, was kind of, uh, um, we see the Nicene Creed, and here is also called the Creed at Constantinople, um, is important in church history. This is a, this is a document that um, is important, really, I think, in some senses, because it's really the only ecumenical creed that's accepted by uh, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, Protestant denominations, and in a line in the creed, as it's kind of um, well, let's let's kind of back up a moment here. Yeah, I was gonna say, could you give us some background because this this is one of those topics that I I didn't know much about, right. and I still don't know much about. So what what led you know up more to than this? You think you do. I think, <laughs> oh, I think you're you. being. I appreciate the affirmation. Um, but so like, what led up to this creed being established, and like, who was involved? Right. So we think about the early church, right? And we're gonna go back to scripture here in a moment to Ephesians four and see how this was laid down. Um, however, as you think about a creed, it, it was it is something that. Um, that the body of Christ has affirmed um, as um, really delineating doctrine. And so um, you can think about it this way. I kind of think about the Nicene Creed kind of functioning like a fence for orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, we, had a, we had an episode where we talked about orthodoxy a little bit in more detail. And, and why is it important? Because it, what the creed does is it fences around orthodoxy and what was so prevalent in the early church as the apostles were teaching and this new doctrine of the church was being laid down, there was a lot of, uh, this may be sound bad to say it this way, but there was a lot of room for error and, yeah. and, and, um, and, and distortions based off of the truth of Scripture. And so uh, people were taking Scripture and they were twisting Scripture to mean what Scripture never meant. And so what was happening was there was, um, there was a heresy coming up within the church. And so really kind of this, this group there at Nicaea, these, um, these bishops, they came together to um, write this creed and, and in it kind of fence around orthodoxy of what it is that the church affirms, what it is we believe. And there's one line in the creed uh, that uses this description of the church. It says, we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. And those four adjectives have been used historically throughout the church um, to summarize the teaching on the church of they, 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 you know, the council was trying to pick up really what were the biblical themes of what a church is, sure. and this is how they defined it. So let's kind of go through each of those, and then let's look back through the creed uh, to see scripture of of where um, where that that line in the creed came from. Right. So as as we just simply talk about one church. 
that that adjective one. What is that describing? Well, there's a unity there. Um, it's a unity of what you believe in. And they've been walking through that throughout the, if you're looking at the uh, creed, um, whether it be Constantinople or um or even like the Apostles' Creed and stuff, there's this language that are used in these early Christian documents of doctrine that describe one. We're one. What are we one in? Well, it's one faith in God. It's one Mm -hmm. baptism in. And so I think a lot of like Ephesians 4, where he opens up, where Paul opens up actually in Ephesians 4, and he's talking about, you know, there's one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one God overall. And it's this idea that there's a unity in the church mm. and that unity is found in the one of whom we worship. And it, it's kind of interesting to read through like a document like this and then to look at like the church in our culture and in our day and be like, man, where did we go wrong? You know, <laughs> cause like, where's the unity at, you know? Cause like Paul's like coming out kind of almost taking it for granted. The creeds kind of almost just are like, you know, this is what it is, mm. but then where is it? You know, yeah. that's good. No. So it talks about this one church. It talks about, a holy church, you know, we almost would read that and we say, well, we just take that for granted that the church yeah. is holy. But Morgan, when it's talking about a holy church, what is that word holy referring to? It's that, um, well, and I, I always think of the scriptures, you know, in Old Testament where, and in the New Testament where it's be holy for I am holy. You know, it's that, it's once again, pointing back to that sanctified, set apart, because God's, you know, first characteristic that he wants his people to emulate is his holiness, right? you know, in, in the purity and character and his uh, perfection, you know, in righteousness. And so the church, as it has been redeemed through Christ, we are holy. The people of the church are holy and set apart. Mm. I think about First Peter, you know, when he talks about being a royal priesthood, a holy yeah. nation, yeah. a people of his own possession, you know, the, the, the creed is affirming that. Uh, one holy Catholic church. Now, that, that <laughs> word Catholic might rub people the wrong way. I was going to ask a question about that. Right? Like, what, so, what is that? Is it taught? Because it's not one big Catholic church. Right. So the word Catholic just simply means universal. Right. And and because that's what Catholic means. And so when we when we hear that word today, we tend to think of the the Orthodox Catholic Church and the institution of the Catholic Church. That word just simply means universal church. And so when we talk about it, we're talking about this is that we in the body of Christ are part of this Catholic, this universal body of saints who are in Christ. And once again, st- stressing the unity, mm-hmm. but I think even in that word, it, it's stressing the invisibleness of yeah. the church, right? That is this universal church, a church uh, that spans different uh, generations of time. And then apostolic, what is that? It, well, what does that mean? It just simply means it's built on the teaching of the apostles, right? And church, I mean, we, we've already kind of alluded to the definition of that, but it's a group of people. It's a called out assembly. People have been set apart to God, um, of which Christ is the head, and I think it's important to note that when we see um, the church in this way, we need to think about the church in this way, mm-hmm. um, that it is one holy Catholic apostolic church. Why Why do you think – let's talk about this for a moment and just talking about the differences um, – and not really differences, but – Sometimes I think we either focus on one of those two to the exclusion of the other. We either mm-hmm. focus solely on what is a church, and we're talking about a local church, and we neglect the church, this mm-hmm. universal global church. Why is it important not to focus on one to the exclusion of the other? 
Well, I think, I think your answer is found in Ephesians uh, <laughs> chapter 5 when it's talking about, and he, Paul rolls through kind of how um, Christ and the church is the picture for a man, a husband and a wife, right? But his big emphasis is, is Christ is the head of the church. And that's not just talking about like an, uh, the church of Ephesus. He's referring to the group of believers. And then later down, it says that he will cleanse him, cleanse his church by the washing of the words so that he can present it to himself uh, spotless and without wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And Christ is the head of the church, <laughs> the universe, the invisible church, if you want to put it that way. Um and I think that that's really important to understand that because sometimes we can get so locked into our local churches that we forget that there's other believers mm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes down the road who are meeting as well. And we're probably, um, a lot of them, um, if they've called and trusted in Christ, right? And if Christ has saved them, uh, we're going to be spending eternity with them. And so what are we doing now on this earth <laughs> with them as well? You know, there's this unity in the invisible church that I think sometimes we take for granted that we don't often play on to play mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're a bunch of lone rangers, you know? Right. It's, and it can be kind of this tribal mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, so uh, you have a church over here and then you have one further in town and it's like, you know, that's your tribe. And so we don't, we don't want to infringe on the other church, you know, which or, there mm-hmm. is some family nature to the local sure. church. I think we'll bring out in the next episode. And I think that, that there is an importance to some of that. Of course. Yeah. But, but not I, to the exclusion. Sure. You don't want, because you, because really the, the unity in the family nature of the local church is the further overflow and expression of the oneness we all right. have in that's Christ. And right. so that's, that's what's need to be celebrated. And but it's a both and, you know, you can't have one without the other. No, you can't. But I think if you focus on one to the exclusion of the other, then your view of the church will be incredibly lopsided. Oh, yeah. Because there are things in the Bible that, and we'll spend probably more time on the next episode on this, but talking about really what does it mean to be a part then of the local church? Mm -hmm. And like you were talking about, Stephen, at the beginning, the responsibilities that are associated with what it means to be in Christ. Um, But it's important to note, I think, that um, as I've kind of thought about this a little bit this week, I think it's an incredibly freeing thing to realize that the local church doesn't have to be... um, a visible representation of every part of the body of Christ everywhere around the globe. And I think I think sometimes the church, local church, has put that weight upon themselves as they think about their ministries, as they think about even the demographic of their church, as they think about um, where their church is at and, and, and what, what it is they are doing. I think all too often um, there's this great weight that gets put on the local church and what it is, is it's really freeing because what it's saying is that, yes, you're a part of a local visible expression of the body of Christ, but you're also in the mm-hmm. body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so, you know, we, there's room, there's room for people of different denominations and different theological traditions and even in different parts of the world and even in, in terms of worship and the expression mm-hmm. of worship. I mean, you know, we keep talking about mission trips, but, you know, I had the opportunity to be overseas in Africa. And you you look at the church in Africa and then you look at the church here in the eastern part of the United States and you're like, 
man, there's so much commonality. There's so much in Christ that we share. And then yet you look at the expression of that and the representation of that, and and it's very different. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think you can even see that in the way that the church is described in scripture with all the different motifs that are being used and how it just pulls out different characteristics of the church, you know, and it does. it's not always representative of all things at the same time in the local church. No, that's good. That's good because I think it, it frees us up to have mutual partnership with others in the body of Christ, with other churches. Yeah. And, um, and it goes back to that imagery you were using, Timothy, uh, Timothy, (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, Stephen, Timothy, where am I at this morning? In the local (laughs) church is in Ephesians, right? That we're one body and many members. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we often think about that as a local thing. I mean, you could argue that it's both and. It is. No, it is. But I'm saying when we talk about it, we talk Mm -hmm. about it often locally. Yeah, I think you can argue that it's both and. I think you can argue it under the basis of visible, and I think you could argue it under the basis of invisible as well. Um, I think locally it might play itself out a little bit more of like, hey, this is what's happening in a visible way. But invisibly it's still there because people are still different members of the body. And I think I think sometimes like I was thinking back while you were talking about the freedom of just like, uh, I remember there's this church that my dad was once telling me about and it had like all these nations represented in the church, which was really cool, right? And it was in a spot of the country where there was a bunch of different nationalities and culture and it was kind of like a hub for that. And that's always cool to go to a place like that. But there's also a danger of going to a place like that. Of when you come back to wherever your local body is, you're like, man, we need to have like 50 different nations represented in our church. And it's like, well, look at your zip code. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have 50 different nations in your zip code? If not, you might want to focus on your zip code and understand that the church as a whole is reaching the nations for Christ. And you have a, you have a responsibility in that to do that, but you are freed to look like your zip code and to reach your zip code for the cause of Jesus Christ and not to be right. guilty trying to say, man, we need to fit this mold or this exactly. model. I mean, it frees you not to be everything all the mm-hmm. time. It's, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you, it, it goes back. I think if we understand the body of Christ in these ways, it helps us and it frees us in the understanding that Christ is the head of his church. Mm-hmm. And, and universally and invisibly, Jesus is is the head and yet it is there's this one body this universal church but there's many localized members and there's mm-hmm. expressions of that and that helps us i think to understand as you were saying it it, it gives us this understanding that the church locally needs to look within their local body and see the gifts that God has given there. And and I think every church will take on a different flavor, if I could say that word that mm-hmm. way, or, or a different, um, I'm trying to think of another word to describe it, but it, 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 I think every local church takes on a little different aspect. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the people in that local body, right? And exactly. as they are utilizing the gifts that God has given them in the uh, work of his church. And so um, you've already alluded to it. One of you guys did alluded uh, yes. to the images in Scripture. And um, there's a lot of different motifs the Bible uses and images to refer to the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those? One of my favorites is in John 15 when Jesus is talking about like the vine and the branches, you know, and I think it gives a really, really beautiful picture of how we were just talking about how the local church fits into the universal church. And because and I 
it all points back to Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit being at the center. Like that is the thing that unifies us. You know, you can have all these different offshoots of little branches, you know, growing and and producing and bringing more people into the body of Christ. But if you're not connected to the vine, then that's, you know, that's not going to function as the church. And so I just, it's a beautiful picture and talking about abiding and how we all, you know, are in Christ in the vine and we're the branches. That's so good. I think about that. It, it, it also helps me to think about that in Christ, that he's the one who is energizing his church. Yeah. And it's like he's like the direct power source, you yeah. know, that it's just when you're plugged into that, it's yeah. that's where we get our, our unity from. That oneness doesn't come from anywhere except him. That's good. That's good. There's others. Yeah, no, I, I was um, thinking about which one I wanted to go with. <laughs> there's a couple that I just absolutely love. Um, but I kind of re- re- made reference to it earlier. But in Ephesians chapter um, five, um, Paul really dives into this idea how um, Christ uh, is kind of like a groom, like a husband, and the church is like his bride. And it's the idea of how the church is the bride of Christ. And it just, Paul beautifully walks through how Christ has sacrificed for his church. Christ has cared for his church. Christ has loved his church. Christ has done all these things for his church. And then he connects it back. And it's a passage that a lot of time, like in our modern day, that sometimes people have tried to taint this passage and be like, oh man, you know, like, and they just like rag on how Paul is, uh, what Paul says about how um, Christ and the role of the husband, and they try and make a big deal out about that. But what they often don't do is they don't look at the practicalness of that yeah. and what it calls people to do. And it's like, it's this beautiful picture of how marriage and Jesus and his church, how it's a picture of that love. And like, when you think about that, well, that puts so much more responsibility on me as just a member of the church, but it puts the responsibility on me and my marriage relationship, you know, <laughs> like yeah. what in the world, you know, I have to sacrifice and love like that. But I love that picture because it's one of sacrifice and just a beautiful, beautiful picture that we see daily. Right. And we don't often think about it because our modern pictures of marriage have become so tainted that we don't think of the beauty of how Christ loves his church. Just hearing you talk about that makes me think about that in our day-to-day in our society where um, the institution of marriage has become so Mm -hmm. twisted Mm -hmm. and God's design has become so um, altered by uh, society. I think this is one of those images within the church that has not been lost, but it's not been talked about as much. And, and with that, I think there's so much there when we think about the church being the bride of Christ is that this is who Jesus loves. I mean, he loves his church. And, and we look at all those things of how far Christ went. He died for his church. This is how committed Jesus is to his bride. But what I find interesting in that analogy is you see this description between Christ in the church, something that is inseparable. Yeah, and and you know, there's a lot of people today that want to talk about that they love Christ and they don't love His church. And I'm just telling you that just doesn't work. I mean, I mean, it doesn't work at all. You you come over to my house and you're like, hey, Aaron, I want to have you over uh, for a meal. Uh, I, I don't mind if you come, but your wife has to stay home. Um, I'm not a big fan about your wife. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, like what you're saying to yeah, me. Peace, peace bro. Peace out. And uh, you know, I'll because, pass. No, no. Why? Because 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 we're one. Yeah, we're one. And 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 you cannot. 
talk about your love for Christ if you're not committed to his church. Well, and I think even then that love, you know, when you say like, I love Christ, but I don't necessarily love his church, that's kind of nebulous and abstract. But Jesus's love was not an abstract love for his people. Like you said, he sacrificed himself. He died for his church, his bride, his people, you know, and that's, that's something that's so practical and it's not... It's not just like words that we say. Right. Well, I think it, it, once again, it pushes us back to the responsibility of what it really means to be in Christ Mm -hmm. and have a relationship with God. If we have a relationship with Christ, who is the head of his church, we'll have a right relationship with others. Right. And, and there's, there's more and more today trying to divide those two and to say, I can have a relationship with God to the exclusion of not a relationship with a visible local church. And I just look in Scripture, and I don't see it. Not possible. Like, I don't see it at all in Scripture. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll look at um, some examples of that in our second episode. So, you know, there's the vine and branches. There's the bride of Christ. The one that I think about is the uh, household of God. Um, in Ephesians 2, uh, you know, it, and even in, in Peter, it talks about the temple of God that were living stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it refers, the Bible refers to Jesus as being the cornerstone and the apostles being the foundation of the church. And and once again, it just that, that imagery about the temple of God, the household of God, that we're all a part of the building and we all have a part to play in it. And and that's where it's so important to think about, you know, the church, that everybody has a responsibility yeah. in the body of Christ. And probably most people would think about, you know, the body, that would probably be one of the first that they would mm-hmm. think about. Uh, and then the flock of God. I love, flock I love awesome. the flock. I, I mean, just the imagery of, you know, God and Christ, like being our good shepherd, you know, like in Luke 12, verse 32, he says, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in John 10, you know, when he's talking about um, my sheep n- hear my voice and they, they know me and I know them, mm. you know, it's just, it's so beautiful that we are being shepherded and protected and loved and guided through all things by God. Christ, who is the shepherd. Right. It's a timeless symbol, too, because mm-hmm. even in like Psalm 23, you know, like the good shepherd, yeah. and it's this motif that's been all throughout scripture, and then in the New Testament switches up, and it's like, hey, uh, Christ is the chief shepherd of his flock, and if you have come to him and you've received his grace, you are part of his flock now, and he will look over you, even though you're a sheep, which mm-hmm. <laughs> is a fun thing to talk about, because we yeah. don't really think about that, but I mean, that puts us in a place of humility when we look at ourselves as sheep and we don't often like to view ourselves as sheep. We want to be the shepherd and that's Mm -hmm. when things happen, right? That's when we see conflict happen. Right. Because sheep don't survive in isolation. Mm -hmm. They don't. It's just, they can't. That's why the shepherd has to go after them. (laughs) Right. And so they only survive in their flock. So it's. It is. and And, you know, I think about all of those images and it reinforces the, the truth that, uh, one member doesn't make a body, one sheep doesn't make a flock, yeah. one stone doesn't make a building, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and one branch doesn't make a vine. It it it's um it is this going back to Ephesians two, um I mean, Ephesians four, uh, when Paul talks to them that he says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so, you know, we've already kind of talked about it a minute, but if we could take it maybe a step further and just briefly talk about, well, what do those images emphasize about the church? You know, as I as I think about each of those images, 
you know, we've already kind of alluded a little bit to it, but as we think about it maybe more in depth, what, what are those images trying to emphasize about the body? I think, Specifically about the church, and then we'll talk mm-hmm. about what does it emphasize about Christ. Yeah, yeah. So about the church specifically, um, I think it really brings out here this topic of unity, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of the body, right? Well, everything is unified in one. And Paul even says, like, um, you, as to have a fully functioning body, you have to have fully functioning members. I believe that's in Romans. Mm-hmm. And um, even in the flock of God, right? Like you have to one flock. unify together, right? And um, the temple, the temple or building of God, it's these living stones that are unified together into one beautiful building, the vine and the branches, the bride and the groom, right? All of it is pointing back to like this a unifying oneness. nature yeah. and a mm-hmm. oneness. And we find that I think often we f- we kind of forget where we find that and it's in the one that we serve. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, we're going to have frustrations probably personally between each other when we relate with one another, because we still deal with our flesh, but our unity is not found in each other. It's not created. It's found in God. It's found in him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if we're in Christ and unified in him, then we'll be unified together. And, uh, you know, so yeah, there is a unity in each one of those. Morgan, what would you see that emphasizes about the church? I think it it just, what I see from all of these just reminds us that Christ is the head, (laughs) you know? Authority. Yeah, he is the, he's the authority. It's not any of these individual leaders that can rise up out of a local church, but it is all, we are all one under Christ and keeping our eyes fixed on him. That's I mean, that's the only way to the kingdom, you know? Right. I mean, I th- even even in First Peter, Peter picks mm-hmm. up on that yeah. as being, you're talking about leaders in the local church. He, specifically in First Peter 5, as he addresses pastors and elders, he talks them as, as not being the shepherd, but he calls them under shepherds of the mm-hmm. flock of God, and because he refers to Christ as the chief shepherd, right? And so mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, there is Christ whom we are accountable to. And he is the one who is over his church. He owned it. He, you know, we see in Ephesians four, he he gave himself for it. So he he purchased it. He owns it. Yeah, and I think authority is a super important one, especially in the day and age we live right now, because authority is something that is hated right now. No matter what authority you are, you're hated because authority is always wrong, right? That's the culture we live in. And to understand that there is a perfect authority in the church, and it's not in a man or men. It's in Christ. And now he has given authority to those. Um, he's delineated he, he's, that authority. He's given authority. Ways, yeah. But the chief authority is Christ and his word. And so, so what does Christ is, say to us? What does his word say to us? How do we know this? Well, it's because of what he's given to us. Yeah. And we do have a perfect and sure word that is a guiding direction for us. That's so good. That's so good. So we kind of just uh, wrap up maybe with one last thought today, and that is this. Um, so when did the church begin? Ooh. <laughs> I'll dive in. <laughs> I'll jump off Who that cliff. Who wants to take the stand? Yeah. Loaded question. I'll jump off that cliff. Go ahead. Um, You're going to jump, Stephen. All right. So often we just want to say, you know, hey, the we, we want to define church in our modern term and verbiage, right? Okay. And so I think earlier we alluded to this, but the term for church has been used to describe the called out assembly who was the children of Israel in the Old Testament, right? And so there was some principles there of how they related with God and the people of God and this motif all throughout the Old Testament that I think we often divorce from the church 
But I don't think that it's helpful to completely just divorce it from the church. I think it's helpful to understand how God related with his people in the Old Testament and then the the difference of the New Testament and some of the things that happened. But personally, I believe, according to 1 Peter and Matthew 16, that the church, the New Testament ecclesia, began with Jesus Christ and, according to 1 Peter, was founded in Christ, but also his apostles and their teaching, and then was built up from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and enveloped and indwelled believers. And so I do believe that there was the foundational elements of the church there uh, with Christ and his disciples. And I believe they kind of laid that foundational work in them, in what they did in the ministry that Christ did. But you often have to think, too, the New Testament church is based upon the death, burial, resurrection Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, right? And so post that, um, his church started gathering. You see in the book of Acts, and there's these believers and followers of Christ that were gathering in the upper room in these places. But when the Holy Spirit came, there was a definitive empowering from that moment. And so while the structure might have been there, the life really came at the day of Pentecost. Yeah, I think I would probably—go ahead, Morgan, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, like, when we first asked this question in our planning, like, my first knee-jerk gut response is just say, yeah, the church came at Pentecost, and that's when it started. But the more I really started to think and to read and to go back and look at Scripture, yes, the 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 way that we see church now um, and, and the New Testament where it really kicked off in this new structure, this new institution, was really, I believe, it a furthering and fulfillment of, you know, the covenant people in Israel. And it talks about us being grafted in. And so, and like in Hebrews 12, when it references, um, you know, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That includes people of faith from all, you know, all time since God began to draw people out and unto himself. So I, I believe that we are as in, you know, once again, describing the invisible universal church, we began with those first heroes of faith. And then it became established through Christ when he came on the scene. And then once Pentecost came, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to become these little bodies of larger members of Christ. um, That's really where it kicked off into what we see now. And of course, there's a lot of history in between that. Um, But it's, I think it was helpful for me to back up and see like the 30,000 foot view that it it just didn't kind of, happen after Jesus ascended. You know, there was so much that came before it to lead up to that fulfillment. Yeah, that's that's helpful. I think what you're picking up on is that in the Old Testament, there was a visible expression of the people of God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say, though, is that the church? Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's 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 not like the what I'm trying to say is that it's not all the same thing, but one had mm-hmm. to lead up to Agreed. the Agreed. I, I would highly agree with that. And that's what I was trying to say at the beginning was like, you can't divorce them. Because sure. we want yeah. to. We want to be like, well, they're, they're is it mutually exclusive? Is yeah. that the term? Uh-huh. <laughs> they're mutually exclusive. And it's like, well, there is some exclusivity to how God related with the children of Israel, is there sure. not? They're right. his covenant yeah. people. And he has given them, They. I mean, he has given them promises that it's like, we can't fulfill some of those promises. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Sure. But he's also given promises to his church. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that understand some of the importance, like what you're saying of the promises he's given to his church, you really need to understand the, some of the promises he's given to his Old Testament people, the covenant people of Israel yeah. right. and because the Bible we, as a whole. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the church, we talk about it as a New Testament church. Right. So there's something in yes. that phrase well, that is, is cluing us in. There's newness to it. And I was reading this excellent article by D.A. Carson um, from the Gospel Coalition, and it was simply titled when did the church begin and it talked about when we when we do you there's dangers in both seeing it as mutually exclusive but also taking too much of a universal mm-hmm. picture to it because you can miss out on the newness that did come with um, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost new creation new work of the Holy Spirit new birth a new age a of new the covenant church, a new covenant yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and it goes right. on so there is something distinctly different right in the New Testament uh, when we talk about the people of God in the church. However, I think you're right on, Morgan. I think in the Old Testament, Israel was the visible people of God in the Old Testament. And even look in the Bible, ways that God described his relationship with Israel, and he calls Israel his son, mm-hmm. his spouse, the apple of his eye. He calls him his vine, his flock. You know, And so already there's some of these images that God uses to describe Israel in the Old Testament that he uses again to describe the church. And, um, and I think that's really helpful, what you were just bringing out about um, uh, D.A. Carson, because he's showing that they're not mutually exclusive, but we do see that in the New Testament that the church is now grafted in. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that in Romans, and you see um, Gentiles being grafted in. And so we see, even in the development of the church in Acts, I, I think the book of Acts is helpful, mm-hmm. and I would agree with you, Stephen. I think, you know, uh, you know, in is it Matthew 16 where, yeah. where, where Peter confesses Jesus mm-hmm. to be the Christ mm-hmm. you know and, and Jesus tells Peter upon this rock I'll build my church right and yes. so we see you know Christ being the cornerstone and the apostles and do, uh, prophets being the foundation that is um, the church is being built upon but then I, I agree I think the day of Pentecost is where you see the spirit of God indwelling believers. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important to note that because in Ephesians 4, Paul specifically states that there is one body and one spirit, mm-hmm. you know, and he's talking about that this is a work of the spirit. Even if you were to go back and look at the Nicene Creed and look at how it's uh, yep. written, that section about the, uh, the statement on the church is underneath uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, yep. right? Because it's, it's, it's through... Christ work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, mm-hmm. right? That he has all authority. He tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me, right? And then we see him indwelling believers by his spirit. And so there's that unity in the spirit, which is really what it means to be in Christ in the church. And so, yeah, I would look at the day of Pentecost probably too as being what inaugurates that. Yeah, there's I think a difference. That, I think that's really the inauguration of it because then you even look at the church throughout the book of Acts and you see that there is this um, – I'm trying to think of the word uh, – Shaping this yeah. formation of the church, mm-hmm. the, I kind of so I kind of think of it, and it might be a bad way to think of it. You all can tell me, but the way I think of it is like when you're building a house, right? Yeah. And there's certain elements that have to be in place for a house to go up. And so I think of like Christ and his disciples and how literally first Peter gives us the analogy, but there's the foundation that's laid right and the cornerstone and the apostles as other stones. Right. And then the house continues going up and there's this structure that's formed, but there's something that's different about the day of Pentecost. It's almost like a ribbon cutting ceremony, right? Yeah. Where it's like the church is now here. Right. And the Holy spirit is indwelling us. And then what do you do when you move into a house? 
will you continue to update it and organize it and fix it up and make it into what you want it to be, right? And that's the book of Acts, kind of. Because, but the house yeah. is there and ready to be. That's right. It's ready to be moved into at the day of Pentecost. And it took work beforehand, right. but it was there. Well, right? see, I think we think about our Bible and we see, we need to remember that uh, the books of the Bible and different letters in Scripture were written at different periods of mm-hmm. time. And so what you see in the book of Acts in maybe its infancy, you then read in like the the letters to Timothy and Titus and first and second Peter. And you begin to see um, by that point in the church, this foundation that has, has been laid has truly in some senses has been defined. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you, you see, you know, I think in, you can even look one example would be, I think in, in acts and Acts six, you see uh, these group of men who are serving widows. Right. And so, you know, many times we'll say, Hey, those are deacons. Well, we look at them as deacons, but they're not described as deacons, but you don't get that until you get into first Timothy. Mm -hmm. And then you see the office of a, of a, of a, of an elder, of an overseer. And then you also see the office of a deacon. And by that Mm -hmm. time in the church, it had become a, actually a recognized office. Yep. So, um, and so there is some, um, I don't know what the word is again. I, I'm like at a, a loss for word. I it's feel like I have baby brain. Somebody said that on our live episode. They're like, Aaron has baby brain right now. <laughs> and that's how I feel like some of this. So what were you saying? It's a growth in an organization. It's that idea of like, you might move into a house the way it is, but go 20 years down the road and the house is going to be a lot different Mm because there's been a lot of work that's been done to the house, right? And it's this idea of like the church was ready to be the church, right? Christ had built it, the Holy Spirit empowered it, it was ready to go. Mm -hmm. However, there were some things that the Lord did through people to really grow it, to prune it, to to make it into what he right. wanted it to be, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still happening. It's still happening to this day of how... Because the church is still being built exactly. upon that foundation, exactly. right? And We're it, being built up in love. There might not be new revelation like there was in those days, but there's still mm-hmm. things that the Lord is doing through his church to perfect it and to mold it. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe we read earlier, how he's trying to cleanse it through the washing of his word and to present it to him himself, right? And that's his goal. That's so good. Well, listen, we're going to actually literally just stop right here. And uh, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger as we not only talk about the church, but now in the next episode, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a part of a church, this local visible assembly of, of the body of Christ. So we hope you join us and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at wherewelandorg On our next episode, we'll be continuing part two of The Nature of the Church. So we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.